Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. Summer is upon us, and I'm very happy about that. How are you? I am doing great. Loving that our summer kids' summer vacation and stuff is here. Not loving that my son's newest obsession, and tell me how many days it would take until you went crazy is to play the Rick Astley song, Never Gonna Give You Up, on repeat (laughs) (laughs) at night until he goes to sleep. So every time he tells... Oh, it's a bedtime song. (laughs) A-L-E-X-A to play Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up. I know that I have a good hour before he'll actually fall asleep and I'm laying in there. Yes. (laughs) And after like the third day, my husband was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, why? And he's like, I'm losing my mind and I'm not even in the room with him. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) we'll see how I'm doing next week. I'm trying to broaden his horizons with music, but he gets obsessed. And of all songs, it's, it's a real banger. It's a real worse. It could be worse. How? Name one song that would be worse. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. I think there's a few that could be worse. There are. Baby Shark would really put me over the edge, but you can only hear. I I I I can't talk about it. I'm going to hear it in two more hours. Let's just move (laughs) on. (laughs) Yeah, so we're really excited. Uh, As we said, our kids are now home on summer vacation, and I know we have a few things 
that are, I guess, relatively fun that are planned. Uh, my kids are going to do a couple of camps. My older son said that he wanted to play tennis, which is oh, fun. kind of, yeah, it was a little surprising to me, but yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a tennis like court next to like where they go to school and he always sees the people out there practicing oh. and so he wanted to like give it a try. So I'm... He's going to go to tennis camp this summer. So he's very excited about that. My little one is still trying to decide exactly what he wants to do, yeah. which is really just stay home and hang out with me yeah, the, entire, absolutely. the entire summer. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're very excited about all of that. And I, you know, I love this time of year. I love, we always complain about how hot it is, but I really love this summer. I like the things that you get to do in the summer. Me I feel too. like there's a lot, like a lot of fun activities. It is hot, but you just deal with it because yeah. it's fun. You know, well, the funny fun. thing is you feel more motivated to do things, which is bizarre. Cause I'm like, we should go on a bike ride. Well, it's a thousand degrees. It's not the greatest time. Where was this urge four months ago? Right. Whenever, you know, <laughs> now I'm like, we should do all the things. And I'm like, oh, actually, it's hot. So we got yeah. – there's our weekly weather report. We are going to yeah. have to come up with a name for that. But, yeah, there's that's our thing. I'm so sorry. We're old. It, it's true. It really is true that there's, there's nothing else in our lives that is more – entertaining to us, I guess, than following the weather. We've reached that point in time. Yeah. (laughs) It's Rick Astley and the weather. That's all we got. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. So we'll get right into the episode for this week. Burglaries are unfortunately something that happen relatively often. Every year in the United States, there are two and a half million crimes that are classified as burglary and 66% of those burglaries are of homes. Generally speaking, home burglaries take place when people are most likely to be at work or out of the home. So the majority of these home burglaries actually happen between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. In recent years, statistics show that about 26% of all burglaries are home invasions. And what sets a home invasion apart from other types of burglary is that in a home invasion, the occupants of the home are inside at the time the intruder or assailant breaks in. And out of these home invasions, 26% of the people who were home at the time of a break-in were harmed by the intruder. So when you break it down, it sounds like these are kind of scary numbers, but it's very small numbers that are being broken down even smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's, it's not very common that somebody breaks into your house and is going to hurt you. Yeah. I don't have any actual statistics handy on this next part, but it does seem to me that the occurrence of total strangers breaking into your home and hurting you is really, really infrequent. As I said, the majority of the time that we hear about violent home invasions, the assailant is much more often as somebody that the victim knew or had at least had prior contact with. So it would seem that in the case of a home invasion involving a double murder, it would be pretty easy to narrow down a list of suspects. But in today's case, it actually took over a year for investigators to track down the man that was responsible for brutally murdering two young women on Halloween night in 2004. The crime took place in Napa, California. And anytime I ever hear about Napa, I immediately have this picture painted in my head of what I think it must be like, even though I've never been there. I'm sure you probably do too when you hear Napa. Most people probably do. They probably have some vision of this picturesque landscape. And most people probably also think of wine because Napa is actually the main wine growing region in the United States. And it's a major one for the entire world. Other than making wine, though, Napa is known for its high-end dining, shopping, and spa experiences, and that's not even considering the perfect year-round weather and, as I said, this beautiful landscape that they get to experience there. These are things that make Napa, California a dream vacation destination for many people, but living there can actually be kind of boring unless you're made of money and over the age of 55. 
there's not really much of a nightlife for young adults who aren't interested in the slow-paced winery scene. And if you're a little kid, you can just forget about having any fun there at all. There's really not much to do. But despite Napa being an odd choice for recent college graduates, that's where friends and roommates Lauren Mienza, Adrian Insania, and Leslie Mazzara decided to rent a house and begin their careers and lives. This was a very safe and very close-knit community, and no one could believe that anybody would break into a home in Napa and murder two of these young women. It was Halloween night when this real-life nightmare unfolded at the two-story home on Dorset Street in Napa. The three young women, Lauren, Adrian, and Leslie, were excited to be together in their house to hand out candy to trick-or-treaters. The women were all really great friends with similar goals, and they were really a great team as roommates. Lauren and Adrian had already been living in the home together before Leslie joined them to help with the rent and bills. Lauren Mianza was 27 years old. She was very athletic. She really loved soccer, and she actually coached volleyball at the local community college. She majored in political science, and she first met Adrian when they took the same volleyball class at Napa Community College. Lauren was pretty reserved and didn't really have a lot of friends in the area. Adrian once asked Lauren, you know, who she hung out with, who were her friends, wondering if they had any mutual friends in common. And when Lauren said she didn't have any friends in Napa, Adrian said, well, you do now. Lauren was a lot more quiet and reserved than Adrian and spent most of her time playing sports or coaching sports or just being involved in anything athletic. It was her first time living on her own and she brought along her dog, Chloe. When Lauren found the house for rent, the first person she asked to be her roommate was Adrian, who happily agreed. Adrian and Sonia was also very athletic and very active. She was really big into intramural sports. She was born in Texas in 1977 to parents Tony and Arlene and raised with three sisters named Lexi, Allison, and Michelle. The family moved to Calistoga, California when Adrian was around 10 years old. She was really involved in Girl Scouts and actually became a troop leader when she got older. She was extremely intelligent and gifted when it came to anything related to engineering, even at a really early age. Her mom said she was amazing with Legos and blocks and everything mechanical. Seems like STEM and STEAM things were yes. all, you know, her, her, her jam. By the age of 13, Adrian knew she wanted to become an engineer and told her mom how much she just loved it. I got to say, at 13, didn't know what an engineer was, had heard the term, but definitely knew I wasn't smart enough to pursue anything right, yeah. in that world. That's amazing. In high school, she took classes to set her up for college. She also took electives in architecture, AutoCAD, woodshop, and more. So by the time she got to college, she was more than prepared and well on her way. While she was still in high school, Adrian got into a really bad car accident. It was actually nearly a fatal accident, and she had to overcome a lot of physical obstacles, and many things in her life really changed while she was recovering and healing. After she graduated from college, she wanted to return to the Napa area to find work. She happened to see that the sanitation district was hiring, so she went out on a limb and applied for the job along with over 300 other applicants. Despite being young and fresh out of school, Adrian got the job as a Napa County Sanitation District engineer. While working this job, Adrian became close friends with another young female engineer, sort of a birds of a feather flock together sort of thing. At this time, especially, there aren't a ton of young women that were working in engineering, so they stuck really close together and became close friends. And her name was Lily Prudholm. At one point, Adrian actually moved and lived closer to her new BFF Lily and Lily's boyfriend, Eric Koppel. 
They all became part of the same tightly knit circle of friends, with Lily sort of being the ringleader. At the time of our story, Adrian was 26 years old, and as we said, she had recently been invited to move into the house on Dorset Street with her friend Lauren Nianza. The two women moved into the home in February of 2004. Adrian's other friends, Lily, Eric, and Ben, helped her get all of her stuff moved in, and the group of friends hung out that first night in the new place, eating pizza and drinking beers. Things were really off to a great start for these two roommates. Lauren soon noticed that the house next door was also occupied by a group of women that were close in age, and she eventually introduced herself to them. One of the girls from the house next door stood out in particular. Her name was Leslie Mazzara, and she was this gorgeous and bubbly Southern belle from all the way across the country. Leslie was born in Orlando in 1978 to her mom, Kathy, and she had two older brothers, Paul and Andy. Her father, Lenny Mazzara, was not in her life growing up, and really that is a whole story in itself. We're not going to go too much into detail, but I did want to mention what the story was with her father. When Leslie was two years old, her father, Lenny, found himself caught in some local gangster activity, and he actually worked for a gangster who was owed a lot of money, $10,000, by this guy named Rocco. So he told Rocco that he would forgive this debt if he found somebody to murder another man who owed him even more money. So long story short, Lenny got caught up in this and he ordered a hit on this person on behalf of his boss. And well, he went to jail and he was not in Leslie's life when she was growing up at all. Her mom moved Leslie and her brothers to South Carolina when Leslie was just a small child. She was always extremely energetic and vibrant with a super sweet personality and a real warmness about her. When she walked into a room, all eyes were on her. She was athletic, but not in the same way that Adrian and Lauren were. She was very girly in the stereotypical sense, and she was a member of the Greenville Ballet Company, and she also enjoyed competing in pageants. Her charm and charisma and her dazzling good looks made her perfect for pageantry, and in 2002, she won Miss Williamston. The following year, she competed in the 2003 Miss South Carolina pageant. Also in 2003, Leslie graduated from the University of Georgia with a bachelor's degree in philosophy. She was very close with her mom, who lived in California at the time. And so even though she went back to North Carolina after she finished school in Georgia, uh, she actually went back there to live with her boyfriend. In 2004, she was ready to end the relationship with him, and she wanted to move to California to be closer to her mom. So that's how she ended up in Napa. Leslie got a job at Francis Ford Coppola's winery as a tour guide, and she fell in love with the job and with the winery itself. She wanted to make a career working there, and she eventually became a sales promoter. Leslie's mom was attending seminary college at this time, and when she graduated, she was called to work at a church in Michigan. So she moved to Michigan, and Leslie stayed in California to continue working for the winery. Leslie shared a house with her roommates, and as we said, they lived next door to Adrian and Lauren, which is how Leslie became friends with them in the first place. That summer, Leslie's two roommates both decided that they were going to move, and they kind of left Leslie hanging to figure out where she was going to live, and that's when Adrian and Lauren invited her to just move next door and live with them, and they would be able to split the rent three ways. Leslie agreed, and she moved into the empty room upstairs right next to Adrian's bedroom. These three women got along amazingly. It wasn't one of those nightmare roommate situations that you've heard about or possibly even been in before. These three women really respected each other and they all pulled their own weight. They also had a lot of fun together. 
Despite there not being much of a social life or nightlife scene in Napa, these three women still managed to have a lot of fun get-togethers with friends, including the couple that we mentioned earlier that knew Adrian really well, who were Lily Prudhomme and Eric Koppel. They were often over at this house on Dorset Street hanging out with Adrian and Leslie and Lauren. By the fall, Leslie had fully intermingled with Adrian and Lauren's social circle, but all three women were really dedicated to their new careers and responsibilities and really just living their lives. When Halloween rolled around, the women were excited to participate in the traditional festivities. Adrian and Leslie were feeling the Halloween spirit and they baked some cupcakes earlier in the day and planned to hand out candy and admire all the little trick-or-treaters costumes. Lauren was a little less excited about the holiday. Her dog Chloe was on edge when the doorbell kept ringing, but Lauren didn't want to sour the fun time, so she played along with her two roommates and she ooed and she awed over all the little princesses and vampires that came to the door. The candy went quick and the girls were very generous about handing it out. On this particular year, Halloween was on a Sunday night, so it was pretty early when the trick-or-treating activities had started to fizzle out and the three roommates were getting tired and winding down for the night. Adrian said she was going to go one block over to have a quick visit with her boyfriend, and Lauren and Leslie stayed home to make food and watch TV. Around 9.30 p.m., Lauren's phone rang, and she took the call downstairs in her room. About a half hour later, Leslie hollered down to say goodnight, and Lauren responded back, Good night, see you tomorrow. Leslie headed to bed, but Lauren wasn't quite tired yet, so she stayed up to watch TV some more. Around 10.30, Adrian returned from visiting her boyfriend, Christian, and passed Lauren in the living room on her way to bed. They exchanged their goodnights, and Adrian went upstairs to her room, happy and really feeling in love after her latest visit with her boyfriend. She sent him a text that night that read, quote, Thank you for yesterday. It was one of the best days ever. I wish it could last forever, end quote. Around 11 p.m. that night, Lauren, who was the last one that was awake in the house, started her nightly routine before going to bed. She let her dog out, she checked all the doors to make sure they were locked, she got herself ready for bed, and finally called it a night. By 11.30, Lauren was fast asleep along with her two roommates who were sleeping comfortably upstairs, each of the women looking forward to starting a new week the next day. But not long after Lauren drifted off to sleep, sometime after 1 a.m., she was partially awakened by the sounds of her dog Chloe growling and barking. Lauren noticed in her sleepy state that the dog was looking out the window and that the motion sensor light was on in the backyard. But Lauren assumed that maybe the neighbor's cat or some other animal had come into the yard and set it off. She quieted her dog down and the light outside switched off, and Lauren started to fall right back to sleep. But then, more noise jolted her awake again. This time, it actually grabbed her attention. Lauren heard a noise that she was sure came from inside the house, somewhere near the front door. In the recent days, the three roommates had sort of a house meeting where they agreed that, on occasion, they might want to bring a man to the house. Leslie, in particular, was seeing two guys regularly, so Lauren thought that the noise she heard was one of Leslie's boyfriends coming over for a late-night visit. Not wanting the barking dog to wake the rest of the house, Lauren pulled the dog back to bed and tried to get some sleep, but the sounds from upstairs kept her awake. As Lauren laid in her bed and listened, she heard what she described was a lot of bumping noises, which she assumed was related to her roommate having a rendezvous with her boyfriend. But then she noticed that the noises shifted from being where Leslie's room was to where Adrian's room was. And Lauren was confused, but still thinking that whatever was going on upstairs was none of her business. She almost felt a sense of annoyance because she kept thinking about how she needed to get up for work so early, and now she didn't know if she'd be able to get to sleep. And we're going to get right back into the story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. 
Leaving the house for any reason is not my cup of tea. It's even worse when you need to drag your kids out of the house to do something that includes no snacks or treats, just standing in line to mail out packages. Thanks to stamp.com though, I can skip the line at the post office and send out all of our Patreon perks and packages from the comfort of my home. So there are no lines, no dragging kids out of the house, and best of all, no changing into real pants. With stamps.com, you can use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you can just drop it off or schedule a pickup. It's really that simple. Not only is Stamps.com so convenient, it can also save you money by giving you discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 66% off UPS shipping rates. Using Stamps.com saves me tons of hours every month. If I remember I need to mail something out at 1130 at night, I can just hop on my computer, print out a stamp, and boom, I'm done. If you own your own small business like us or run an Etsy shop or send out invoices, Stamps.com is a no-brainer since it not only saves you time, it also saves you money. It's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk and with our promo code MOMSANDMURDER, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in MOMSANDMURDER. That's Stamps.com, promo code MOMSANDMURDER. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. There's never been a better time to take care of yourself than now. Whether something in your life is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, the licensed professional therapists with BetterHelp want you to become the best you this year. BetterHelp is professional counseling that you can do right from the comfort of your home through weekly video or phone sessions. I've used BetterHelp for almost two years, and I can't tell you what a relief it is just to get all my thoughts out to a professional without having to leave the house. I deal with anxiety and depression and have most of my adult life, so just having someone I can talk through with scenarios or those immediate big problems that pop up in life has been really invaluable, especially this last year. Of course, anything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential, and best of all, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. Whether you're struggling with family issues, sleep, stress, or more, BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. 
You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for Dash Pass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. Dash Pass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with Dash Pass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for Dash Pass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about Halloween evening at the house where Lauren Mianza, Adrian Insania, and Leslie Mazzara were living. These three women had just gone to bed, and Lauren woke up around 1 o'clock in the morning because she heard some noise coming from inside the house that sounded like somebody was actually coming into the house. She assumed that it was one of her roommate Leslie's potential boyfriends and that he was going upstairs to have a visit with Leslie. And she started hearing some noise upstairs and was kind of thinking, oh, great, I'm not going to be able to get much sleep tonight now that she has a visitor over. And she was just trying to start drifting back off to sleep. It was just moments later that Lauren realized this wasn't just a visit from somebody's boyfriend. A terrifying, fear-sounding scream suddenly came from upstairs Lauren recognized it as being Adrian's voice, and it became immediately clear that Adrian was struggling and fighting with somebody upstairs. Lauren froze in shock, and she listened to her roommate scream repeatedly while sounds of glass breaking and things smashing went on in the background. Fight or flight instincts really kicked in, and Lauren knew that she was in danger. She grabbed her dog Chloe and made a break for the door. Lauren left the house through the back door, which left her essentially trapped in the backyard because there was a privacy fence. She could hear Adrian inside crying and screaming for help, but she did not hear Leslie at all. Lauren was convinced that the intruder was coming for her next. She was literally paralyzed with fear when suddenly she heard the sound of the wooden blinds in the house shaking and rattling, and she knew that the intruder was trying to leave out of a window. Once the intruder was gone, Lauren worked up the courage to go back inside this pitch black house and check on her roommates and find out what just happened. She went to the bottom of the stairs and called up to Adrian, who was begging for somebody to help her. Lauren didn't know exactly what happened or what kind of injuries her roommates had, and she still hadn't heard anything from Leslie, which was really concerning. Lauren made her way up the stairs, and what she saw changed her life forever. In the dim light, Lauren could make out blood streaks on the wall, and she noticed a light was on in Adrian's room, so she walked over to it. Adrian was huddled on the floor between her bed and the window in the room, and she was struggling to breathe and bleeding profusely. Lauren slipped on blood as she tried to figure out where Adrian was even hurt. During this panic, Lauren spotted something out of the corner of her eye, and she noticed that it was her other roommate, Leslie. Leslie was lying face down in a pile of laundry, and she wasn't moving at all. 
Lauren ran from the room and she was desperate to just get to a phone and dial 911 to get help. But she realized that the landline at the house was cut and it wasn't working. So she grabbed her cell phone and ran out of the house to her car to make the call. She said that she was just terrified, didn't know where the intruder was, if they were coming back. She didn't know if she was still in danger. So she ran out of the house just to try and make a phone call to get somebody to come help. Officers arrived to a horrific crime scene. Leslie had been attacked so viciously that police wondered if she was a target or if the attacker knew her specifically. She was pronounced dead at the scene after suffering multiple stab wounds. It appeared that Adrian had tried to come to her friend's rescue when the attacker turned the knife on her as well. Adrian was gasping and fighting for her life when paramedics arrived, so she was placed in an ambulance while paramedics worked to stabilize her. Tragically, Adrian passed away on the ride to the hospital despite the advanced life-saving efforts. Investigators began combing the house for evidence and clues. It was clear that the killer got inside through the kitchen window, but there was no theft involved. The killer broke into the house that night with the intention of murder and nothing more. Police would expect a sexual motive since the house was occupied by three women, but no evidence of sexual assault was found. They did find zip ties and cigarette butts outside the home. The zip ties were the heavy-duty kind that police sometimes use in place of handcuffs, and police bagged the cigarette butts found at the scene just in case. They didn't know if they would be important clues or could lead them to whoever did this. One thing for sure, though, those cigarette butts had someone's DNA on them, and it was definitely something they wanted to look into. Murders in Napa are pretty much unheard of. Prior to these murders, there hadn't been a murder in Napa in four years. The residents of the community were incredibly shocked when the news broke about the brutal attack on these young and vibrant women. And they wondered, you know, did Halloween have anything to do with this? Was this person a serial killer? And, you know, were others in danger? Evidence at the scene suggested that this attack was thought out and planned. It appeared as though the intruder had either cased the house or was familiar with the house prior to the attack, which made them focus on people that the women knew as possible suspects. When it came to notifying the victim's families, officers had a hard time locating Leslie's next of kin. Her mom and brothers had different last names than she did, and they also had different last names than each other. Plus, she was relatively new to Napa and, as we said, had come from all the way in South Carolina. So the police really had no idea how to get in touch with anyone in her family. I feel like this really is one of my, you know, biggest fears that something would happen to somebody and they wouldn't be able to reach me or they wouldn't know how to find me. And like, this is like really scary when I was reading about this part. It was just so heartbreaking to think like that the police have no idea where to start with finding, you know, the family of this victim. Yeah. Leslie's mom, Kathy, had moved to Michigan to work for a church, which made finding her really difficult because now we're dealing, you know, this murder has happened in California. They know her family is from South Carolina, but they have no idea that her mom is actually living in Michigan. So Kathy was completely unaware of the double murder that took place in Napa until her sister called her the following day and just asked if she had spoken to Leslie. And Kathy said no, and then her sister told her about a double murder in Napa that happened on Dorset Street. And so she seemed really concerned that Kathy hadn't heard from Leslie, and she urged her to call the Napa police and just make sure that Leslie wasn't involved in any way. Kathy was given the gut-wrenching news over the phone from states away that her daughter had been murdered. Investigators worked tirelessly collecting DNA from over 200 people trying to rule people out. 
Samples were taken from friends, co-workers, acquaintances, and even registered sex offenders in the nearby area. No one was a match to the DNA they collected off the cigarette butts, and officers started to wonder if maybe the killers skipped town after the stabbings. As part of the investigation, police reviewed the phone records of the two victims, hoping that they would find clues about who they had last spoken to or any clues at all about who would want to hurt either of them. On Leslie's phone, there was one number in particular that had called numerous times on Halloween night. And that number was traced back to a man in South Carolina, where Leslie was from, named Lee Youngblood Sr. So this man, Lee Sr., was the father of Leslie's ex-boyfriend in South Carolina. So the father of her ex-boyfriend is calling her at all hours of the night. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So as it turned out, this guy, the father, was obsessed with Leslie and his creepy demeanor was one of the reasons that she actually ended her relationship with his son, Lee Jr. I guess the father really wanted this relationship with Leslie to work out with his son and he was really bent out of shape about it when Leslie ended the relationship and moved across the country. Despite Leslie cutting ties and moving so far away, Lee Sr. continued to call her. Although this did seem a little suspicious, Lee Sr. ended up telling the police that the reason he was calling Leslie that night was just because she had been in contact with him and she was looking for her birth certificate and wanted to know if maybe she had left it there in South Carolina. And Lee Sr. said that he would look for it. And so he said that's why he was calling to let her know that he did not find her documents and that this was just a complete coincidence that all of this happened on the same night that she was killed. The police also kind of got a weird vibe from Lee Sr. regarding his infatuation with Leslie, but they didn't think he was a suspect in the end. And he's all the way in South Carolina making phone calls. Yeah, it's pretty easy for them to rule him out. But yeah, timing's not great there. Police went through a similar process for ruling out the men in Adrian's life, and they crossed off numerous potential suspects. But as the weeks passed, they were still no closer to finding the man responsible for these killings. DNA samples from the cigarette butts at the scene suggested that it was a man that police were looking for. We mentioned before that Leslie was quite popular with guys and always had a date and liked to entertain men. So police contacted all of her ex-boyfriends and interviewed them. I heard something with her mom that basically said she like kept in great contact with old boyfriends, like nobody was really upset with her, things would always end well, and she would end up being friends with her exes. So it wasn't surprising that, you know, they had a few people to call and nothing was really suspicious in that way. In the end, though, no one was a match for the DNA. The weeks turned to months, and eventually Christmas came and went, and the case was fading from the spotlight and had gone cold. December 30th was a very tough day for the family of Adrian. If she hadn't been murdered two months earlier, she would be celebrating her 27th birthday. The fact that her killer had not been caught was frustrating and heartbreaking for Adrian's friends and family. She was very close to her mom and her sisters, and they mourned her death very hard. Adrian's friend Lily also struggled to accept what happened to her best friend. Adrian and Lily were actually supposed to go on this huge adventure trip together. They had plans to leave for Australia just days after Adrian was killed. Early in the new year, Adrian's mom was excited to finally hear a little bit of good news when she learned that Lily, who she knew was Adrian's closest friend, was getting married really soon, within a few weeks. Lily was dating Eric Koppel, as we said before, and they had been engaged in the past and even had a wedding date scheduled at one point. Oddly enough, they were supposed to be married on November 1st, 2004, the same day that Adrian and Leslie were murdered. But Lily had called off the wedding months before because she wasn't really sure if Eric was mature enough or really ready to get married. 
The couple stayed together though, and now just a couple months after the murders, Lily was feeling like life was really too short and she wanted to make the most of it. She wanted to marry Eric after all. He'd really been there for her in the months since Adrian died, and she felt that they'd became closer and that getting married was the right thing for her now. Lily was, of course, devastated that her best friend wouldn't be there for her special day, but she wanted to include their mutual friends and Adrian's family. Adrian's mom, Arlene, was really overjoyed to be invited to the wedding. Lily and Arlene ended up becoming pretty close. Lily reminded Arlene so much of Adrian, and she really just wanted to be there for her. She said Lily was just sheer joy to be around. Arlene even read a scripture at Lily and Eric's wedding, and they became a huge part of each other's lives. But still, time went on, and there were no new leads in Napa. To make matters even more frustrating for the families, investigators still had not shared very many details about what happened to the young woman. By August of 2005, they were pretty much in the dark about anything going on behind the scenes as it related to the case. The one-year anniversary was fast approaching, and the killer was still on the loose. But there actually was some very important forensic work going on behind the scenes at this time that they just didn't know about. The DNA from the cigarette butts and unidentified blood found at the scene was sent to a lab in Florida for special testing to determine even more detailed information about exactly who it was that the police were looking for. They were able to determine that the DNA belonged to a man in his 20s of European descent, and they believed with 85% certainty that the killer had blue or green eyes. So this wasn't really a ton of information, but it was something, and it helped put other theories to rest, such as the theory that migrant workers could have killed the women. Now police knew that they could rule out any person of Latin, Asian, or other descent, and they knew that they were specifically looking for a white man. Further, this testing revealed that the DNA from the butts and the unknown DNA from the house were a match to each other, so they were also 100% sure that it was the killer who smoked the cigarettes and discarded them in the yard. This was actually pretty significant for the case. The cigarette butts found were from a type of cigarette that was pretty new on the market at the time of the murder. They were camel Turkish golds. They had this unique marking on the band, and they were very distinctive cigarettes. They were special, and they weren't sold in every gas station or corner store. So the investigators started by trying to locate stores that actually did carry these particular cigarettes, and they wanted to know, you know, if anybody who worked there recognized anyone who was coming in and purchasing this particular brand. This was a dead end, but the police didn't give up. They went back to Lauren Mianza, who had been working with them the entire time and giving them all the information she could. And, you know, the officers always ran their leads by her because they were like thinking that something they came up with may jog her memory or she might be able to help them even more. So they told her about the cigarettes and then they asked if she would be able to tell them the names of any of their friends or friends of Adrian or Leslie that she knew of that smoked. Lauren did recall a vague memory that she had of people smoking at the house, and the more she thought about it, and it kind of became more clear in her mind, she realized that who she was thinking about was Adrian's friends, Lily, and her husband, Eric. Lauren recalled that both Lily and Eric smoked, but since she wasn't a smoker herself, she really had no idea what brand of cigarettes they would have been. Investigators were immediately interested, though, when she named Eric because they realized that somehow out of hundreds of people that they collected DNA from, you know, people that were within this 
social circle of these women and people who were really not even in the social circle of these women, they somehow had managed to miss taking DNA and having an interview with Eric Koppel. And we're going to get into a lot more detail of this story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Do you ever want to just escape? Not like cut your hair, burn off your fingertips, and move to a tropical island kind of escape. Although I like for my family to know I've got that one on the back burner. How about just escaping from the normal everyday stuff? Now it's something I can do with a quick round of June's Journey. June's Journey is the free-to-download hidden object murder mystery game that has over 30 million fans across the world becoming their own kind of detective. The June's Journey game takes place in the Roaring Twenties, with June Parker investigating the mysterious death of her sister. And if you're a listener of our show, we definitely know this is right up your alley. June's Journey is visually so pretty and so fun. I love to just escape from my hot mess of a life into June's much more sophisticated and fancy murder mystery of a life. One of my favorite parts about June's Journey is collecting clues and searching for hidden objects. As a mom, I hear, hey mom, I can't find this for my kids 11,000 times a day, but in June's Journey, I can take this skill of finding things that I've had years to practice with, and now it's the key to my success in the game. I love sneaking in a quick round while I'm eating a snack or ignoring the laundry that apparently won't just fold itself. I love that I'll never run out of things to do in June's Journey, thanks to their thousands of intricate scenes. Truly, the attention to detail in this game is incredible. Plus, new chapters are added every week. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here. A brand new dermatologist approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about the cigarette butts and the DNA that they've been able to find from the house where the murders took place and that they now run these, you know, this information by Lauren and Lauren was able to say that, you know, they did have two friends that smoked, Lily and her husband, Eric. So they then asked Lauren if she had a phone number or any information on where they might be able to find Eric now. So Lily gave police Eric's phone number and said she knew that Eric had recently started a new job and was out in the field, often as a surveyor. An officer called the company and left a message with the secretary asking for Eric to please give him a call. But two weeks go by and Eric never gets in touch with the detective. It was now later in September, almost 11 months after the murders, and police had a suspicion that they were finally moving in on their guy. A decision was made to release the information about the cigarettes to the public. Before that happened, though, detectives tried to contact Eric one more time on his home phone. They left a message on the answering machine. 
Later that day, the media reported that the cigarette butts matched the DNA inside the house and that the cigarettes were this unique brand. From there, they waited in hopes that this little piece of information would spur some new tips and possible leads. It took five days, but the ploy worked even better than the officers could have imagined. On September 27, 2005, two people walked into the Napa Police Department and one stated that he was the person who murdered Adrian and Leslie. Officers were completely dumbfounded. They thought maybe it was a false confession for attention, but then they realized that this could be legit. It was Eric Koppel and his wife, Lily, Adrian and Sonia's best friend who had shown up at the station that night, and Eric was ready to talk. Despite the fact that it was nearing midnight, police interviewed him immediately, but after hours of interrogation, they felt that Eric was still holding back critical details about why he committed this gruesome crime. In the middle of the night, both Adrian and Leslie's moms got calls from the Napa Police Department to inform them that they had made an arrest in the murder. Arlene and Kathy were both stunned by this news. It's been 11 months. There's been real, no real movement in this case. And now officers are saying they've arrested someone. And so, of course, they wonder who this is. But when they hear the familiar name Eric Koppel, their worlds were turned upside down. As we said, this was a very close-knit friend group, and as for Adrian, she always included her mom in things she was doing, so Arlene was very familiar with Adrian's friends, especially Lily and Eric. She even read scripture at their wedding. Eric was there consoling her and Lily after Adrian died, and he had been in the picture the whole time and had even given interviews to 48 Hours for a special in the case. When we were looking at doing this story... That was the thing I remembered about this. I told Mandy there's like a 48 hours and this guy was interviewed by <laughs> by 48 uh, hours during during this investigation. And it blew my mind that somebody could be so brazen to go on and talk knowing what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. And so Arlene was just beside herself with the news that Eric was the one to confess to stabbing her daughter and Leslie to death. But one burning question still remained. Why would he do this? Why, you know, why would Eric go to the home of his girlfriend's best friend in the middle of the night and murder not one but two women that live there? According to Eric's confession, he and Lily were at a Halloween party earlier that night playing the kind of drinking game where you have to answer questions and if you get one wrong, then you take a shot. Eric was terrible at this game and he ended up getting really, really drunk. Lily got mad that Eric was so, so wasted, and she wanted to leave the party. So she drove Eric to their house and dropped him off, but she was mad, and she didn't want to deal with him, which I don't blame her. She just wanted to drop him off, and she wanted him to go up to bed, and she left and went to stay at her parents' house that night. Eric said that he remembered stumbling up to bed when he got home, but then he woke up shortly after midnight and, for some reason, drove over to the home on Dorset Street where the three women who lived there were asleep. He did not tell the police why he went over there in the first place or why he had brought these flex cuff zip tie things that they found at the scene. He told investigators how he hung around outside the house in the shadows smoking cigarettes for a while before he made the decision to actually go inside. He got in by cutting the screen on a window, and then he went right up the stairs. Eric claimed that he passed out and fell asleep on a pile of clothes in one of the women's bedrooms, and the next thing he remembered was waking up and realizing that a light was on. He says he doesn't know why or exactly how he ended up attacking anyone. 
He claimed that he was still very intoxicated and he couldn't recall all of the details about the killings, but he did say that he was pretty certain he was the one who had done it. So after the killings, he went home and he built a fire and he burned all of the clothes that he was wearing. And then he quietly slipped back into society completely unsuspected. He was friends with the family of the victims. He attended the funerals and he married Lily, who had no idea that he was a murderer. Eric said that when he saw the news that the police knew the type of cigarettes he smoked, he freaked out and he contemplated suicide, but Lily and his family ended up convincing him to go to the police instead. Of course, to confirm Eric's claim that he was the one responsible for these killings, the police took his DNA and they tested it against the blood that they found in the house and the DNA from the cigarette butts. And it was a match. None of this made any sense to investigators or to the community. Eric Koppel was a complete stranger to law enforcement and had never had so much as a blip on the radar. Eric was born in 1979 and raised in a religious family in Southern California. Eric's dad was a minister and the family moved to Napa when Eric was in middle school, but he had a really hard time adjusting and making friends. He became a bit of a loner until he met Lily. The two went to prom together and eventually became boyfriend and girlfriend. Eric went off to college for one year, but then he dropped out and moved back to Napa to be with Lily. He was really infatuated with her, and she was really all he cared about in the world. The two eventually moved in together and got engaged. But Eric still had that dark side, and he struggled with anxiety. Lily tried to get him to seek counseling, but he refused to do so. Instead, he became an alcoholic by self-medicating with 9-10 to 10 beers a night. Lily wanted a more stable and serious relationship and didn't appreciate her fiancé putting back that much alcohol, so she eventually called off the wedding they had started planning, the wedding that was supposed to take place on the day the murders happened. Lily canceled the wedding back in March of 2004, though, months before the murders actually occurred. It ended up coming to light that Eric felt threatened by Lily's friends, particularly Adrian, who Lily was so close to. Eric feared that Adrian was advising Lily to cancel their wedding and to look for someone better. Apparently, though, Adrian wasn't the only one who kind of felt this way. Lily was, you know, this vibrant and bright person, while Eric was kind of dark and a bit of a downer. And lots of people kind of wondered why they were a thing and what Lily really saw in him. But they had been together so long. They were together in high school. You can see how, you know, you kind of just stick with what you know. So the Australia trip that Lily was going on with Adrian was actually taking place during the week that Lily had originally scheduled time off for her honeymoon before calling the wedding off the first time. Police obviously wondered if this was all the motive in the murders. This would mean that Leslie was murdered for no reason other than she was in the wrong place at the wrong time and she was never the target of Eric's rage at all. Furthermore, it seemed very suspicious since Eric got what he wanted after Adrian was out of the picture. He got Lily's full attention again and had an opportunity to prove himself to her by being there for her to the point that Lily actually married him. But Eric was careless. The cigarette butts he left littering the yard eventually were what led police to him. Investigators believe that Eric came forward because he knew they were getting closer to figuring it out. Wow. Yeah. There was mass outrage when the details of Eric's confession broke the news. Many people who had been following the story really wanted the death penalty, but not the moms of the victims. They both said that they wanted Eric to suffer for as long as possible, and they really just wanted him to have life in prison. 
even though the death penalty was an option due to there being multiple victims and the fact that Eric was outside the house lying in wait, the court decided to offer a plea deal. If Eric pled guilty to two counts of first-degree murder, he would be spared the death penalty. He took this deal. At the sentencing hearing, Eric broke down crying, and it actually did seem pretty genuine. He looked right at Arlene and Kathy and apologized to them directly for taking their daughters from them. It was a welcome apology, but Eric still had never answered the question of why. Investigators really could only speculate on the reasons why Eric would do such a horrific thing. Eric was sentenced to life in prison. After he was convicted, Lily actually filed for divorce. And Eric is now serving his sentence at California's Pleasant Valley State Prison, where he has become active in the prison ministry himself. Eric has never been able to explain why he did this. The investigators and prosecutors believed, even after his conviction, that it just didn't make any logical sense. They only can make guesses on what they think could have happened, and it comes down to jealousy and him really just being irrationally drunk. He got really intoxicated that night. He had this fight with Lily, and he was going to bed alone on the night that should have been his wedding night. Lily was about to go on this fun vacation to Australia with Adrian, which stung because that was supposed to be when he was on a vacation for their honeymoon. However, investigators recognize that being extremely drunk really does complicate things because there are legitimate side effects of being that drunk, such as blacking out and being unable to recall large chunks of time. So it's probable that Eric is telling the truth about not really knowing how or why he got to the house and went inside and murdered these two women. Wow. This case... I told Melissa while I was finishing this one up, it took me a while to get through this one. Um, I read a book on the story and it was just so heartbreaking and it's just such a sad story because, because there is no answers, you know, to why he did this. And even for him to say, you know, I really don't know, I don't remember. And you just have to accept that. It's just so hard to do. Yeah. So as far as where everyone is now, Arlene Allen, who was Adrian's mom, She tried to move on with her life as best as she could. She eventually got a new job as an office manager and accountant for a local grocery store. Arlene, though, felt really heartbroken for Lily in the wake of Eric's conviction. She had always loved Lily and couldn't fathom what it must have been like finding out that, you know, her husband is the person who murdered your best friend and now you're living with this person, you were married to him and you didn't see anything. And so she felt, you know, really terrible for her. Kathy Harrington, who is Leslie's mom, she continued working in the ministry, and she struggled with PTSD after her daughter was murdered. And she was really kind of angry with the way that the media handled the coverage of the murders and could not stand that everything her daughter embodied was reduced down to her being a beauty queen over and over again in the media. And Kathy really wanted the world to know there was so much more to Leslie in her life than that. I found a clip later, and it's... One thing that Leslie had worked with is this place called Calvary Home for Children. It helps abuse children. And um, do you remember – did you ever watch Survivor? (laughs) I watched like – I know. I I feel like I did when I was like young, young, when it first started coming out. I think my parents watched it. But, you know, I just – I don't – I'm not familiar with Survivor. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one guy, Boston Rob and Amber, they met on the show and got married. They – 
were friends with somebody else who was maybe on an amazing race and they found out about this Calvary home for children that Leslie had worked at. And this friend of Leslie's wanted to have a cottage built in her memory to be part of the Calvary home for children. And so Boston Rob and Amber, they worked with her to raise money or, you know, they went to a charity event, were able to raise money in 2010 and build a cottage in her honor, which I thought was really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And finally, Lauren Mianza was the surviving roommate, and she did suffer with survivor's guilt, but appears to be doing well now. But I can't imagine being her. I, I mean, that's Oh my gosh, ugh. I can't either. And I felt so bad because, you know, you do have, especially in the day of the internet where people can just freely give their crappy opinions and like on things that they have no business giving their opinions about. But that's one thing even I read when I was reading up about this case and reading even on like other boards where other people were discussing the case. I like to read like other people's comments sometimes. But I had seen a lot where they were like kind of like being mean about it and saying what Lauren should or shouldn't have done that night. And it's like, that's just so wrong to me that she survived through this trauma, you know, of, of experiencing this absolutely horrendous, horrific crime, like a real life nightmare. And people are judging her because they think that she could have done something different. And I just think that's just so crazy and wrong. And it's, yeah, Nobody knows what they would do in that situation. And self-preservation is a real thing. And well, they talk about flight or flight. That's well, a real exactly, thing. you know, yeah, exactly. And it's like everybody likes to say, oh, I would definitely put my life on the line for my friends or my family. But it's like, you don't know if you really, you know, unless you're in that situation, you don't know what you're going to do. Exactly. And then after the fact, I can totally, I feel my heart goes out to her because I can't imagine, you know, the survivor's guilt that she must have felt and um, it's just very heartbreaking. This whole story was so, so sad to me. Yeah. And think too, you're waking up in the middle of the night. We always talk about that. When you wake up in the middle of the night, how disoriented you, you know, it's not middle of the day, you who's caffeinated and, you know, doing right. all this. It's somebody waking you up in the middle of the night and you don't even know what's going on. So I call crap on anyone that says they would have done something differently. You just do not know. So I understand what, like, as far as Eric goes, it does sound like he really maybe was in his feelings and he was drunk and he was mad at her and he went there. But I something there's a disconnect to me because the whole blacking out, I believe he could have done. But then there's this you cut the landlines. So you knew you've done something wrong. And you bring zip ties. Who even has zip ties? I didn't know that was a thing you'd you know what I mean? That's right. It, it just seems like there's some planning that went into it. So one of the major sources that I used in this episode was a book that is written by Paul LaRosa called Nightmare in Napa, The Wine Country Murders. This was such a, it was very gripping. This book was so emotional. I don't often get emotional, but this book made me very emotional when I was reading through a lot of it. So if you were interested in this case and wanted to know more, there was actually a lot that we did not cover in this episode um, that I did see a a lot more information about in the book. There was a lot of other theories that the police chased and there's a lot more detail about each and every one of those that's in the book if you wanted to go kind of a deep dive on this. So definitely check that out if you're interested and we will have that listed in the sources in the show notes uh, along with all the other sources for the episode. So that is it for the story this week. Uh, Melissa, are you ready to turn the page and lighten things up a little bit. This was a really heavy and very sad episode. Um, so we're going to lighten things up a little bit before we get out of here and do last thing before we go. Yes. 
Okay, so we got an email from Yemi, and they suggested hands up to 85, which Mandy and I do not know what that is. I've never heard hands up to 85. I hope we didn't just join a cult by saying that or <laughs> now we're part of something. I hope it's also not a sexual phrase. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> we think it's like categories where the idea that they gave us is we each have a category and we take turns naming different things. You can't repeat what someone says. You can't hesitate, demonstrate or concentrate. So it's quick back and forth. We'll pick the categories, go until one of us messes up which I expect to be within 0.2 seconds. So, Mandy, um, do you want to start with your categories? Do you want me to start? Um, You can go first. Okay, Mandy, my first category is bands. Bands? Yeah, like uh, groups, singing groups and stuff. Oh, I, I feel like this shouldn't be difficult, but I feel like it's going to be difficult. Probably. Okay. Do you? I'll okay. start. How about that? Okay. Okay. Um, sync. Green Day. Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Are you going to do all boy bands? Listen, I'm doing what I have to do. You better hurry because I'm about to call you on it. Um. Oh my gosh, I don't know, Melissa. Okay, done. You're done. We. I can't. I can't do that with you. I okay, can't do next bands. One. I don't know Edit. bands. I mean, I know bands. Yes, you do. Really you could name bands. ska ones. I wouldn't even know who they were. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, okay, sure. All right. No. You do the next category. Okay. Animals that have tails. <laughs> Okay, this is not fair. Okay, <laughs> ready? You go first. Okay, dog. Squirrel. Giraffe. Cats. Alligator. Monkey. Rabbit. Bear. Tiger. Lion. <laughs> Mandy, this was your category. No, sloths don't do sloths, sloths have tails? I don't know, but it took you 30 seconds to get there. So I'm going to say no. (laughs) Okay, Okay. here's this one. This is a very specific category. I think you can do it. Words that begin with Y. So you can't even think about a lot of things. All right, ready? First one is you. Yes. Yarn. Yoink. (laughs) Yo. (laughs) Yams. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. Yellow. Yellow. York. Oh, I don't know anymore. Yesterday. Yolo. Okay. Did we say yellow? You did. You said yellow. <laughs> oh, what's oh your YOLO. Category? I said I said yellow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. What's your category? Okay. Things you take on a trip. Okay. Okay, you're gonna start us off? Oh, I can't. Sure. Suitcase. Toothbrush. Family. (laughs) Bathing suit. Headache. (laughs) You take a headache on vacation with you? Not. Have you packed with my family? Snacks. Toothpaste. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I take lots of things. My laptop, phone charger. Don't use all of them. So you got laptop. Oh, I'm sorry. I've got, yeah. um, okay, you won that one. I got yeah. up. <laughs> All right. I'll do my last one. Types okay. of ice cream. You used to work at an ice cream shop. I feel like this is where okay. you're going to shine. Okay. I'll let I you go so first. Too. Go. Okay. Butter pecan. Praline. Oh, that's my favorite. Chocolate. Strawberry. Pistachio. Vanilla. 
strawberry cheesecake. Ooh, vanilla uh, fudge. Butterscotch. Brownie batter. Ooh. Is that one? Cherry Garcia? Chunky Monkey. What's the rum one? Rum? Some kind there's some rum one. Rum we'll ice give cream. It to you. Rum. <laughs> Moose tracks. Coconut. Bear tracks. I don't think bear tracks is one. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't think it is either. But isn't the one the turtle one? What's the yeah? Turtle? There's a couple tracks, but I think all of that yeah. means poop. So I don't know if that's so great to have. Oh no, I guess it means feet. Did you have a last category? Um, I do. Okay, let's do one last. Yes, one. maybe this one will reveal some some things about each of us that oh gosh haven't been revealed before. Okay, don't think, Melissa. You just have to speak. Okay, things you do every single day. Brush my teeth. Take a shower. Fart. (laughs) Tell me you don't do that every day. Eat? Yes, I do. I mean, I do. I do too. I also do. (laughs) (laughs) That took you a while to get out. (laughs) Brush my hair. I sing. Yell. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm out of ideas. Sleep? Yeah, there you go. I would say cry. But that's not every day. I'm out. Every day? Yeah. That got real sad at the end. (laughs) I fart and then I cry when I'm caught. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, that was fun. Yeah, there's not a lot of things I do every day. I mean, there's – I do – I do the same things every day. It's just not a lot of things. Yeah. It's like the same six over and over again. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, that was that. That was a fun little game. Of <laughs> that was that. <laughs> saying words. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, guys. So that was it for this week. We will be back next week. We'll, we will be back next week. Yes. Yeah, we're back next week. Same. Yes. Same time. Same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.